It's my pleasure today to open the Word. My name is Dean Hendrickson. For those of you who don't know me, I am one of the pastors here. It's quite a privilege to serve alongside this wonderful body of people and to be part of this group, to serve with Danny and Dan on the board and Chris as a pastor in training. It's always fun for me to get a chance to open the Word. My day job is that as a veterinarian. I teach at CSU. I'm one of the surgeons there and actually have kind of taken over as the interim hospital director for the next six months. And so my life's been turned upside down. What I used to know would be expected of me when I came to work has completely changed now. And so consequently, it seems like I'm always just a little off balance. Everything's just a little bit uneven and and trying to work some of those things out. But the cool part about that is the foundation of God and how fun it has been that over the last four weeks that I've taken over this job, actually I guess it's about six now, is I've been studying through God's Word in preparation for today. So it's been really neat because that's been a consistency in my life. It's been something that's solid, something I can rely on when I'm sitting in my office at work going, Jones, what am I supposed to do about that problem? And the temptation when somebody comes in to complain, ask if they'd like a little cheese with their wine. (laughs) I try not to do that, but yet there are days where you feel like that's all it's about. And interestingly enough, that's what the message is about. The message is is a bit about unhappiness. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verses 1 through 13. and, And the whole concept about this is Paul is teaching the Corinthians about being content. He's teaching the Corinthians about freedoms and being careful that they aren't abusing those freedoms. He's teaching the Corinthians about temptations and how being free as we are from the law and from these thousands and thousands of things that do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this kind of concept that the Israelites were under at the time before Christ was now abolished. But he's trying to help them understand with that comes responsibility. Now, the difficulty with that, always when you're trying to share with somebody, this is a reason why you don't do these things, is giving them some basis for that and some foundation for it. What Paul did is he took them back to their favorite guy. I believe that if you'd have been an Israelite at the time, and Paul would have come to you, even in the city of Corinth, and said, who's the best? They'd all say Moses. Moses was their father at some level, because he was the one responsible for bringing them out of Egypt. And they looked upon Moses with such warmth and compassion. And so there was the law of Moses, and that was important to take, and Moses this, and Moses that. What better way to help teach somebody than to take them back to the guy that they hold in such reverence, right? The very guy that would have said to them, it's not me that you need to be reverent to. It's God that you need to be reverent to. But the Israelites could never quite get the handle of that. They wanted somebody they could touch and feel, somebody that was close that they could see in order to do that. So Paul was bringing the Corinthians back and helping them understand a little bit of about what the Israelites had gone through so that he could then help them figure out how to respond to that. And that's what we're going to talk about today. When leading up to this, Danny in chapter 9 was talking about freedoms and how we as believers have this immeasurable freedom. There's so many things that it's okay for us to be part of and do. And and that's really exciting because the concept was moving away from the law. Basically, it lined everything out for you, right? The law was set up so that you didn't have to think. You just did it. Wash your hands this way. On this day, do this. On this day, do that. Never, ever do this on this day, but it's okay on this day. There's a whole concept of things. And then Christ came And he abolished that. And the whole reason the law was put in place in the first time was to show people, you can't measure up. You will never succeed in following the law. It will never work. It is impossible. The bar is too high. And God put it in place so that we would recognize that and say, well, gee, if I can't measure up to that, maybe there's a better way. And the better way was Jesus. Jesus came He died on the cross for our sins. He was raised again on the third day. And and we have hope. That's what it's about. 
And we could now say amen because that's really the crux of everything that we talk about is the resurrection of Christ and our salvation that comes because of that. But there were people that were struggling with that. There were people that were struggling with the freedoms. And can I, can I eat meat sacrificed to idols? Can I do this? Can I do that? And so Paul's answered a lot of those questions already in chapter 8 and chapter 9. But at the end of chapter 9, he's talking about it's okay to have freedoms. In fact, it's fantastic to have freedoms. Paul was saying, I can eat meat sacrificed to idols because there's no such thing. It's just stone and brick and clay and metal. It's nothing. Okay? There's nothing there. It's just meat. But I realize there are problems with other people seeing me eat that. So that's okay. And he finishes off in in chapter 9 where he's talking about the athlete and running the race. And talking about how in verse 27, as he finishes, But I, Paul, buffet my body, I beat it and make it my slave. Unless possibly, after I have preached to you, I should be disqualified. So he finishes there. And then we pick up chapter 10. And the reason we have to read that is because the first word in chapter 10, verse 1 is, For. Because. So we know that we have to look backwards to find out what the for is for. We have to go back and see, otherwise it doesn't mean anything to us. And that's one of the things that is so important as you read through the Bible. Be careful not to pull a verse and read it and say, there, I can make that say something. If we're careful and crafty, we can take the Bible to do anything. But if you take the context, we don't have that. So the Corinthians had asked Paul some questions. He's been answering them Question by question by question. And that's what we've been going through for the last number of months. And we're going to pick up again today. Let's ask God to teach us because there's some cool stuff here. There's some things that I think will help us immeasurably in our daily walk. And what better way to open the word than to have something that will affect you before you leave today. Lord, we're grateful to have your word because we know that it is the source of all truth. And... And we don't want to, as Danny showed last week, we don't want to be so caught up in the truth that we we forget how to love. But we don't want to be so caught up in love that we forget the truth. Lord, we want to be exactly where you want us to be. So would you guide us today? Would you remove from any of the message today me? And would you fill it with you? Would you open the hearts today of everyone here that, that Lord, you would fill them with your spirit and, and teach them what you need to teach them? Thank you, Lord, for bringing the Israelites through the wilderness because there was so much from them that we needed to learn. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to start out in verse 1 and work our way through to verse 13 today. So we're going to go from verses 1 through 13 and kind of take those one at a time and pull them out and dive in and see what there is there for us to pick up. And verses 1 through 11 essentially are, are really going back and revisiting Exodus in Numbers. And we're going to go back and hit some of the select chapters, things that Paul was referring them to, to really help make his point. So in verse 1 it says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. What's Paul trying to get at there? He's trying to draw these guys back. He's trying to take them back to the time of Moses. And why is that? What, what is the benefit of going back? Well, we already touched on it some. It, to a huge extent, the Israelites were, were enamored by Moses. I mean, they, they just had so much good about Moses. And Moses had a lot of great things. But if, if you remember correctly, Moses didn't start out so good, right? Moses actually started out at about 40 killing an Egyptian that was beating up on an Israelite. And then he came back the next day and he was trying to help two Israelites that were arguing. And they said, what are you going to do, kill us? You know, what's the story here? And so Moses had some problems and God had to take him to school. So that's why I picked my my school blackboard up here. We're going to school today because Moses had to go to school. So for 40 years, Moses lived in the wilderness and God taught him. God raised him up to the point where he was ready to be used. Now, how many of us would be patient for 40 years to get to the point where God wanted us? It'd be tough, wouldn't it? We live in the world of immediacy. We can email, we can fax, we can text message, we can do all these different things. Just They happen like that. 
everything is just... And if, if you send somebody an email and then you call them and it's not there, oh, you're upset. What do you mean it's not there? I just sent it to you. you know? and, and so we don't live in that. And yet it took 40 years for God to get Moses to the point. So I look at that as, hey, there's still hope for me. That God still has room to work on in my life. But if we go back here and it talks about in Exodus chapter 13, it's giving us a picture of what was going on. So if we go to Exodus 13 verses 20 through 22, it talks about, Then they set out from Succoth and they camped in Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord was going before them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them on the way and a pillar of fire by night to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. So when it's talking about here that they were under the cloud, that's the cloud they were talking about. Now when we talk about being under the cloud, it's usually we're depressed and it's not feeling so good. It's a little bit gray out today. Imagine being under that cloud. Would that have been cool? Wake up in the morning, look around, get your bearings. There's the cloud. Wherever it goes. I'm going today, it's that, and I couldn't be happier. I couldn't be more excited about following the cloud. And at night, the pillar of fire. I mean, if you take a group of people out in the darkness, what is the first thing they look for? A light, right, of some sort. You're just searching. Take a group of people camping, start a fire with John Cuppinger. Everybody can see it, but everybody's watching at the fire, right? You always are, you're you're just stoned into that. You want the light. When there's darkness, you want some light to illuminate what's going on. And so God was the cloud by day and the fire by night. And that's what the Israelites were going through. And every day they knew it was going to be the same. Every morning when they woke up, there'd be cloud. Every night when they went to bed, there'd be fire. And it was constant, it was consistent, and it was guaranteed. Now, would that be cool? Right? That's setting these guys up for what this looked like. But that wasn't it. They also passed through the sea. It also talks about the pillar of fire in Psalm 105. I'll let you look that up on your own. But in Exodus 14, now it's talking about going through the sea. Now, this was a big deal. So they were moving along. They left Egypt because Pharaoh, of course, said, get out of here. The plague, the last plague had finally pushed him over the edge. But as they were leaving, Pharaoh had second thoughts, right? He decided, you know, I'm not so sure about this. If these guys all leave, who's going to do the work? Who's going to make the bricks? Who's going to do all this labor? We better go back and get them. So he sent out his army to get them. And then it turns out that they, of course, came up upon the Red Sea. Pharaoh's army behind them, Red Sea in front of them. It wasn't a good thing, right? There's no way they were going to make this work. And, of course, the, the Israelites were good about that. They were saying, it's okay, God will take care of us. We trust him. This is going to be good. Now they couldn't quite get there. So then they said, you know, what is this? We were doing fine. Yeah, it was tough, and we were complaining the whole time we were in Egypt. But now that we've left for more than a couple of days, it looked pretty good. We got food every day, and you brought us out here to die. Why? Because there's no graves? Right? What's the deal with this, Moses? Moses said, you know, don't fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see them again forever. Now, what's that look like? You're on the edge of a sea that you can't swim across. Pharaoh's army is coming up behind you. That's faith. And, and this is what endeared Moses to the Israelite. And so Moses, then, as we pick that up, and it says on here, the Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. I just want to point out, guys, you're going to see something you've never seen before, and it will have been nothing that you have done. Nothing that you do will have made this work. So you just sit back and watch God. Moses stretched his hand over the sea, and the Lord swept the sea back by a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry land, so the waters were divided. And the sons of Israel went through the midst of the sea on the dry land, and the waters were like a wall to them on their right hand and on their left hand. And the Egyptians took a pursuit, and all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen went in after them in the midst of the sea. Now, what would that have felt like? What would that be like as you're doing that? You're watching this huge wall of water on the side. And what used to be the Red Sea is now a road, right? Perfectly dry, easy to walk on. And they just go down and they look back. And here comes Pharaoh's army. Oh, it must have been scary. But then in the morning, watch. So everybody's now across. 
The Lord looked down on the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud, and he brought the army of the Egyptians into confusion. He realized the Israelites were slow. They weren't going to quite get done. So he brought a little confusion so they couldn't quite get there. And then he caused their chariot wheels to swerve, and he made them drive with difficulty. So the Egyptians said, let us flee from Israel, for the Lord is fighting for them against the Egyptian. They knew. They could sense it. They could see this happening. How else could you explain this, right? There's just no way you can look at these walls of water, the dry land underneath, and not accept that God was there doing that. And the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may come back over the Egyptians, over their chariots and horsemen, and none of them survived. Not a one survived. And then at the very end of Exodus chapter 14, verse 31, and when Israel saw the great power which the Lord had used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. There it was. They saw this amazing power that God had had. They believed him. They believed in him and they were willing to follow Moses. I reckon that the Israelites had a memory capacity similar to mine. It's not so good. Because it didn't take them long to figure out that they, you know, they forgot all about that. And as we move into verses 2 and 3 in Corinthians Paul's going on to, to, to make this basis that he's going to work from. Okay, so the first verse there is to really help them understand our fathers, all of them, came through the sea with Moses. They were led by the cloud and the fire. They followed him. In verse 2 and 3, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food. And what about this baptizing to Moses thing? What does that look like? What's the deal with that? We talk about being baptized by the Holy Spirit. We talk about being baptized into Christ. John the Baptist baptized. Paul says he never baptized. Well, maybe he did, right? His, he talks about in Corinthians, you know, why are you guys arguing about me and Apollos? He said, were you baptized into Paul? He said, no, that wasn't the deal. So what does it mean? The translation is probably better immersed. They were immersed into Moses. These guys walked the trail with Moses. They lived every day with Moses. They, they responded to Moses. They, it showed their solidarity, their oneness with Moses. And that became one of the great reasons why there was such an attachment to Moses uh, of the Israelites. And that's why Paul's bringing them back here. So he's telling them, you know this to be true. You know that our fathers were immersed in Moses, that there was a oneness there, and that they were responsive to Moses. Yeah, not always. They had some issues, but in general, that was true. And he's trying to point this out. He says, and, and oh, by the way, they all ate the same spiritual food. So in Exodus 16, we talk about manna. What a wonderful thing. So they're out there. They're grumbling. It's a recurrent theme. The Israelites grumbled. Right? They just grumbled. Grumbled a lot. Uh, it was a constant problem with them. God why are you bringing us here? We're just going to die on the edge of this water. They walk across on dry land. Come down. Oh, God, you are the greatest. We love you. We want to worship you. You're wonderful. And then as they turn away from the water, they forget. Right? They forgot that God had just done this. And now they're going, oh, why'd you bring us out here, God? We're going to starve to death. We at least had food when we were in Egypt. Yeah, we had to work hard, but there was always something to eat. So God brought manna in chapter 16 of Exodus, verse 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether or not they will walk in my instruction. Mm. So God says to these guys, Okay, you're hungry. I hear you. I'm going to give you food. But there's a caveat. I'm going to make it every day, six days a week, it's going to rain manna down. You go collect as much as you want, as long as you'll eat it that day. Never collect two days, never three. Don't hoard it. Every day I'm going to put it there. Just as a pillar of fire at night and the cloud during the day, you can count on me. I will give you manna every morning. Except on the seventh day when I want you to rest. Now, miraculously, what you gather on the sixth day will last for two. Okay? It's going to work. Just trust me. So he steps back then, 
The next morning it rains manna. And what do the Israelites do? They're starving. They may not get food tomorrow. We can't trust God. And so they gather a whole bunch. And what happens to it after the first day? What what does it look like the next morning when they get up? It's wormy. It's falling apart. It's rancid. So so here here in in their precious pots is all this horrible, rotten stuff. But what's outside on the ground? Fresh new crop of manna. Perfect, tasty manna. Right? What a... What an amazing thing. Every day, it happened. They did the same thing. Every day, God made sure there was manna. Now, of course, that wasn't good enough either. You know, that was okay for the first week. But have you ever eaten the same thing every day for a couple of weeks? It's just not so good after a while. And we like some meat. Now, I understand that because I'm a meat eater. I like meat. Right. So so I can see that if, if I give myself a little liberty, wishing that maybe I could have a little bit of meat to go with my manna in the morning. I'm not sure I'd have chosen quail, but but that's OK. That, that was good. So so they're they're grumbling again. The man is OK for a while. And we know it's fresh. And we finally figured out the whole concept of just what I'm going to eat today for six days. Seven, on the sixth day, get twice as much and I'll be fine. But I could sure go for a nice steak. Right? Just a nice steak. And so God heard their grumblings. And in Exodus chapter 16, verse 11, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, I've heard the grumblings of the sons of Israel. Speak to them, saying, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. So you shall know that I am the Lord your God. Right? I'm going to give you manna in the morning. I'm going to give you quail at night. Now, how much better can it get? You don't have to work for it. You don't have to make any effort other than to just go collect it. It's really an absolute and total blessing for you. And I'm going to provide that for you. So it came about in the evening. The quail came up and covered the camp. In the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. And when the layer of dew had evaporated on the surface of the wilderness, there was a fine flake-like thing called manna every day. And what a blessing, again, that God just did for these people. And, and yet they grumbled, right? They were never quite happy with it. If we move on to verse 4, Paul is reminding them again. So you get the picture that Paul's painting. They saw all of this stuff, right? God did the plagues, brought them out. They went through the sea as on dry land. He provided manna in the morning, quail in the afternoon, He was taking great care of them. And they drank all the same spiritual drink. For they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them. And the rock was Christ. What about this spiritual drink? If we look into Exodus chapter 17 in the first seven verses, the Israelites were doing what? Grumbling. Right? They're grumbling again. Verse 1 in chapter 17. Then all the congregation of the sons of Israel journeyed by stages from the wilderness of sin, according to the command of the Lord, and camped at Rephahim, and there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and they grumbled against Moses and said, Why now have you brought us up from Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with our thirst? You just you get a point where you wonder why there are Israelites? You really have to at some point sit back and go, why was God so patient? And then you have to step back and say, I'm sure glad that God learned how to be patient with the Israelites because someday there was going to be me. And I was going to be just like them, perhaps worse. And so I'm glad that he learned patience. Now, he obviously had patience from the beginning, but I'm glad that he exercised it there so that he didn't have this precedent that whenever there was grumbling, wham! That's gone. Don't have to deal with that. Now, he did. He did sometimes. He did actually do that. 
So Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I going to do? A little more time, they're going to stone me. The Lord said to Moses, pass before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand your staff, which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water will come out of it, and that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders, and he named the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarrels of the sons of Israel, and because they tested the Lord, saying, is the Lord among us or not? What about the pillar of smoke or the cloud? What about the fire? What about the manna every morning? Did they think God just put that on autopilot? Here, I'll just replay this. It'll be just like the same thing happening every day for them. And and then I can just go do something else. No, he was there the whole time, but they still questioned him. Now, the interesting part in this is that, of course, Moses wasn't quite so simple. Right in in him, his striking the rock. He actually struck the rock twice. Right, he was so frustrated with these people, and I think at some level he was frustrated with God that God was allowing these people to continue to create such an irritation. That instead of simply striking it as God had asked, he struck it in anger. And we know that 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 was the thing that kept Moses out of the promised land. That then was the signal, and God said. You're not going to go in. Okay? I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to make sure things are good. But for Moses, that was a, a bad choice in doing that. And that's a great lesson for all of us, right? When we're working with situations where we're not getting the responses we want, to maintain that patience and continue on with that. The rock that it talks about here in Exodus is obviously talking about Christ, but it's not talking about a big boulder or a big stone. It's talking about a massive cliff. It really translates better to there, there was a massive cliff there in Corinthians where it's talking about from a spiritual rock. That's Jesus, and he's this massive, big, can-do-anything cliff that, that, he was, that Paul was talking to the Corinthians about. So he paints this wonderful picture. Hey, are you guys all with me? I, I'm, I went from here and I brought you to here. I added a little bit of the grumblings in that the Israelites were doing. But I want you to see that these guys walked with Moses and they saw the hand of God daily. In the pillar of cloud, pillar of fire, in the manna, in the quail. They saw it daily. Every single day, God showed them himself numerous times. So there's the picture. I want you guys as Corinthians to see this. Now, how did they respond overall? What did it look like? So in verse 5, he says, Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased. Now, have you ever heard a greater understatement? With many of them, he was not well pleased. And because of that, they died in the wilderness. They never saw the promised land. In fact, as God told them as they went through that, that nobody 20 or older except for two people, right? Joshua and Caleb, would see the promised land. Not Moses, not Aaron, not the others. In Numbers 14, we pick up. What's going on here and what he's coming back and referring to. So Numbers 14 verses 26 through 35. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, how long shall I bear with this evil congregation who are grumbling against me? I have heard the complaints of the sons of Israel, which they're making against me. Say to them, as I live, says the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so will I surely do to you. Your corpses shall fall in this wilderness. Even all your numbered men, according to your complete number from the 20 years old and upward, who have grumbled against me. Surely you shall not come into the land which I swore to set aside, except Caleb and Joshua. Your children, however, whom you said would become prey, I will bring them in. And they shall know the land which you have rejected. But as for you, your corpses shall fall in this wilderness. And your sons shall be shepherds for 40 years in the wilderness. And they shall suffer for your unfaithfulness until your corpses lie in the wilderness. According to the number of days which you spied out the land. So remember, Moses had brought them up to the edge of the promised land here. And he'd sent in the spies to look it over. And really what he's expecting them to do coming back was... It's ours. 
God's going to take us into this, and that's our land. And we're going to take care of everybody in it, and it's good. But they didn't, right? Sent 12 spies in. Ten came back and said, they're huge. They're like giants. And there's too many of them. We can't possibly overtake them. And Joshua and Caleb came back and said, some big guys there. Not a problem for God, though. I mean, we walked across on dry land, guys. Through the Red Sea. We ate manna. We had water from the rock. It's nothing. God can deal with this. And did you see the produce? Did you see the fruits? Did you see the thing? That this is a great place. This land truly is flowing with milk and honey. God will take care of us. No, they're too big. There's too much. We can't possibly do this. Let's go back to Egypt. And at least we'll have food and water and shelter. And God just had had it with them. He'd given them plenty of opportunities. We're going to talk about more of them as we go. Say, that's fine. Let me give you a picture. You remember you're talking about your kids, how they're all going to fall prey to all this? They're going to go to the promised land. And you know what? They're going to take it over with hardly an effort. Now I'll do it. I got that under control. I'll take care of it. Don't you worry about it. Just like at the edge of the sea, just sit still and be quiet. Let me work. Let me show you. And the rest of you, I'm sorry. But you just, you've grumbled one too many times. Now, isn't it nice that none of us have hit that point yet? Maybe we ought to be more careful. Who knows what the number of grumblings God will take from us. They were laid low in the wilderness. In verse 6, he goes on, Paul talks about the Corinthians. Now, these things happen. Why? For us, for those of us sitting here today, for the Corinthians that were reading the letter, these things happened for us. These were a lesson for us. They were an example that we would not crave evil things as they craved. You have freedom to do a lot of things, Corinthians. Don't do these things. Don't grumble against God. Don't jump into the idolatry. The Israelites were guilty much during this time as they were going through the wilderness of idolatry, sexual immorality. They test God. They were complaining. They weren't even happy with manna in the morning and quail at night. They wanted more meat. God said, that's fine. You want more meat? I'm going to give you more meat. And in Numbers chapter 11, he talks about that. So the wind blew up, right? And it it brought the quail in from the sea. And there were quail that were two cubits. So about three feet deep. In the entire camp and surrounding it on a perimeter by a mile. That's a lot of quail. That's a lot of quail. And so we said, there. And the Israelites gorged themselves. They just dove in and gorged themselves on the quail. You know, they, they just couldn't get it right. So in, in chapter 11, verses 4 through 6, it talks about the greediness. And the rabble who were among them had greedy desires, and also the sons of Israel wept again and said, Who will give us meat? We remember the fish which we used to eat free in Egypt. The cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. But now our appetite is gone. There's nothing at all to look at except this manna. Now the manna was, and they went on and they described the manna and what they would do with it. Oh, they were just so unhappy with it. So then we pick up in verse 31 where God said, fine, I'll give you meat. There went forth a wind from the Lord and it brought quail from the sea and it let them fall beside the camp about a day's journey on this side and a day's journey on the other side all around the camp and about two cubits deep on the surface of the ground. Actually, it wasn't a mile, it was a day's journey away. That's even more quail. While the meat was still in their teeth before it was chewed, the anger of the Lord was kindled against the people. And he struck them with a very severe plague. Now you have to presume that there was a lack of, total lack of gratitude. You want meat? I gave you meat. Fact is, there is so much meat out there right now, you couldn't eat it all if you tried. Now they decided they'd try. But there must not have been gratitude. There must have been just an absolute lack of thankfulness that God had brought the meat. And so while they were yet eating, that was it. 
one of the its for God. And he said to them, and he struck them down with a plague. And they buried all the people who had been greedy. It's just one of those problems that these guys dealt with. So here God brings stuff to them that they want. It's the desire of their heart. They want food. He brings a manna. Well, when we said food, we meant meat. He brings them quail. We want water. He brings them water. We got to get across the Red Sea. He opens it up. They go across on dry land. Everything's taken care of. We don't know where we're going. I'll make a pillar of cloud in the day, a pillar of fire at night. You'll be taken care of. It'll be the same way day in and day out. You can count on me. I will be there for you. But it was never quite enough for these guys. Right? They just couldn't quite accept that. So they grumbled. They complained. And God showed them that he was not tolerant of that. Then if we go to Exodus 32. Now we, we know that when Moses was going up to get the commandments or the law... With God, what did the Israelites do? Where's Moses? We think he's died up there. Who will lead us? Who is this God anyways? Where is he? How come he never shows himself to us except with man every morning, quail every night, fire and cloud? Where is he? We can't, we can't touch him. We can't see him. Let's make one. So they got Aaron, and God was patient with Aaron. God was very, very patient with Aaron. And they got Aaron, and they said, Aaron, make us a god. right? Mold us something, and we'll worship it, and that will be our god, because then we can touch it, we can feel it, and it will be real. Do you see the difference there? They had God in their midst, but he just wasn't real enough to them. So they wanted to have a god that they made. So Moses wasn't coming down from the mountain in Exodus chapter 32. And they got this and they get Aaron. Come make us a God who will go before us for this Moses, whoever he is, the man, right, who brought us up from the land of Egypt. We do not know what has become of him. It's reminiscent of Genesis when, when God's asking Adam, why is it that you now you know you're naked? The woman that you made, right, which is like this with Moses, that man, Moses, we don't know him. It's not like we've been following him for years. Uh, but this Moses guy, he's not coming by him. And Aaron said, oh, great, good idea. Tear off the gold rings which are in your ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. And they tore off their gold rings which are in their ears, and they brought them to Aaron. And he took them from their hand, and he fashioned it with a graving tool, made it into a molten calf. And they said, and said this is your God, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And so Aaron built an altar before it and made a proclamation saying, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. Wow, how misguided, how confused, how God had shown him so much. And then they built this thing out of gold to be their God, this calf that they could now worship. They couldn't do anything besides hold the ground down that it was standing on. It's all it was capable of doing. Couldn't move, couldn't talk, couldn't give a manna, couldn't do anything. It was just a paperweight. All it was. And yet that's what they wanted. And then in verse 6, So the next day they rose early, offered burnt offerings, and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and to drink, and they rose up to play. They gorged themselves. They had a big party. They engaged in what was probably horrible sexual immorality during all that time. Why? Because Moses was talking to God to come up with a plan for their lives. But they just couldn't wait. Couldn't be bothered. We want something different. This Moses isn't quite what we, what we signed on to deal with. So God says to Moses, better go back. These people are trying my patience. All right. Verse 17. Moses is coming back and yet Joshua came partway with him. He picked up Joshua on his way back. And Joshua heard the sound of people as they shouted. He said to Moses, there is a sound of war in the camp. Because Joshua was a soldier. He's going to go in there and fix it and, and battle it. Moses said, it is not the sound of the cry of triumph, nor is it the sound of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing I hear. Hmm. So as soon as it came near the camp, Moses saw the calf and the dancing and his anger burned. And he threw the tablets from his hands and shattered them at the foot of the mountain. And he took the calf, which what they had made, and burned it with fire and ground it into a powder and scattered it over the surface of the water and made the sons of Israel drink it. Oh, he was furious. Here he is communing with the true God. And these guys are doing this. It was just too much to even think about. 
And so Paul's telling them, and this is how these guys responded to God. This is how they responded to that whole situation. They did that. And then he just couldn't believe it. And we move on in verse 8. He talks about, and, and don't, don't act immor- immorally as some of them did during that time. And 23,000 fell in one day. So Moses comes down from the mountain, shatters the tablets, and then he says, Who's for the Lord? And all the sons of Levi gathered, and he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Every man of you put his sword upon his thigh, go back and forth from gate to gate in the camp, and kill every man his brother, and every man his friend, and every man his neighbor. Kill them all. 3,000. They reckon that 3,000 people died at the hands of the Levites. And then another 20,000 to plagues during that time. Because of all the things that they did, the immorality... The idolatry, the sexual immorality, complaining, all these things. God's very serious about our response to him and what he does for us. In verse 9, talks about, don't try the Lord as some of them did and were destroyed by the serpents. They were complaining that, Moses, we know that you talk to God, but we're just not sure you're our leader. We want to be in charge, and we really think that these group of guys would be better off leading us than you are because, you know, we're just not happy. We want something different. We want different leaders. We want leaders that will be the people that we want them to be, not the leaders that will make us the people we should be. See, there's a difference there. So that's why I think so many of these countries like to make their own gods. Well, I'm going to make a god that is the image that I have, rather than succumb or try to become the image that my God wants me to be, right? So that's what they would struggle with. And, and of course, again, God got frustrated with that, and he sent serpents. He sent the serpents to, to destroy them, and many died under the serpents. In Numbers chapter 21 is where you'll find that story. And interestingly, how did they stop the serpents from killing people? Right, they made a serpent, put it on a rod, stuck it in the ground, and everybody who was bit that would look at that would, would live. Everybody who didn't would die. Where do we see that all the time now? That's our sign. So the one in the middle there is a, is a medical caduceus, they call it. It's the image of, of the biblical portion of the snake on the, on the rod. And then the one, because I'm a veterinarian, I had to put the veterinary caduceus in there too, right? You just have to have, you know, both sides. They have, and other health professions, but they all are associated with a stick and a snake. Based back way into Exodus and Numbers and Moses. So, so many of the things that we see every day come from that. In verse 10, Paul goes on to say, No, don't crumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. The destroyer, the... The angel of death, right? We saw first in Egypt and the last of the plagues. And we saw again that destroyed numbers of people here with the Israelites. And, and God was trying to get hold of these guys and get their attention. And they just didn't seem to quite get there. So we go back to verses 11 12, and 12 as Paul's trying to bring this together now. He said, now, remember, Corinthians, these were your fathers. These were your family. These things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction. We can learn from this. We don't have to go down that same path. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. Be cautious, guys. There's a huge bunch of freedoms out there. The Israelites had the freedom to talk to Moses, but they didn't have the freedom to question that God sent him. And God took care of that with those that did. The Israelites had the freedom to go before God and ask him for things. They could have asked for the manna. They could have gone reverently to God and prayed to him for manna, for quail, for whatever they wanted. And I really believe God would have responded with it. But they didn't do that. They went to God grumbling. Why have you done this to us? Why have you sent us here? Why, have you, why, why are we in this spot? It wasn't good in Egypt, but man, it was better than here. Not understanding at all that where he was taking them to was so much better than anything they could possibly imagine. And that was their struggle. And then Paul says, 
He sums it all up in verse 13, and I think it really brings it to a point here. For no temptation has overtaken you, but such is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, that you may be able to endure it. Corinthians. All these bad things happened because of grumbling, because of unhappiness, because they just couldn't be grateful for what they were given. Like they just couldn't be there. They wanted more. They wanted something different. They wanted something else. He just got done talking to the Corinthians about the freedoms, eating meat to idols, doing whatever, because it's okay. But don't do it if it's going to cause a brother to stumble. And now he's trying to bring it together here and say, you're going to be tempted to do all sorts of things with this freedom. With this wonderful freedom that you're giving and given in Christ, you're going to be tempted to do all sorts of things that you shouldn't. You're going to be tempted when you turn away from God and now you can't seem to see him to build an idol. Right? You're going to be tempted to be unhappy because your house isn't as big as it should be. You're going to be tempted to be grumbly because something at church isn't the way you want it. Some song, some message, the floor, the ceiling, something. You're going to be tempted in those areas to grumble. Don't grumble. Take these things before God. That's, that's fine. Don't grumble about it. So what's that look like for us? You know, what are, what are the things in our lives? What are the things that we're struggling with? What are the temptations that we're dealing with on a regular basis? What freedoms do we see out there that are causing not only our brother but ourselves to stumble? That we're confused with regards to where we should be in that because we're, we're grasping to the freedom and we're ignoring the responsibility. What does it look like for that? Where are you being overconfident? That you can deal with it. There was a wealthy man who had the most wonderful chauffeur for years. And the chauffeur died. So he put out an ad in the paper for a new chauffeur. And the whole deal was you came and if you made it past the first cut, the deal was you'd take him for a drive. And he had this big fancy limousine that you would drive. And two guys looked good on paper and meeting with him across the table. So he said, okay, one of the two of you I'm going to hire for my chauffeur. But we're going to go for a drive, and I'm going to tell you where to go, how to get there, and then based upon how well you do, that will determine whether I hire you or not. So the first guy gets in the car, and he wants me to go up this really curvy mountain road. And he's like, oh, I'm going to show him how good of a driver I am. I'm going to get right next to the edge and show him how close I can get without going off. So he did that. He's a great driver, very skilled, great abilities, zoomed up and down that road like nobody's business. Skirting the edge all the time. He got back. He said, I'll call you in a week. Next driver got in there. Again, very skilled, very qualified. Now, his perspective was, if the edge is here, but I can be over here, I'm going to be as far away from that as possible. So he did that. So he got it, did that, and he was always very safe and very, very careful with the driving. So he brought the two back together, and he explained how the, each of them drove to the other ones, so they were sitting there, and the one guy who's sitting there, they kind of, you know, pushed it to the edge, thinking, "Oh, I got this job," because there is no way a guy like this is going to want somebody who's so timid and afraid. So he said to the guys, "I'm going to hire this guy, the one that was careful." He couldn't believe that. He said, "What are you going to do that for?" He said, "You know," he said, "I know that you're a good driver, but the problem is you left no room for error. You were on the edge the whole time." If something would have happened that you couldn't have controlled, we would have both died. The other guy's just as good a driver as you. But I know that he's always going to build into this a safety net for me. There's something that's going to put me in a good spot so that if something were to happen, he can salvage it. Where are we in that? Are we flying on the edge? It's as close as we can. I can, I can stand here and not fall off. I can do this thing but i won't go to the next step which would be a sin or are we the person who stays back here and says 
I'm going to make sure I've got people around me to help me keep me accountable, help keep me careful, help maintain that zone that, that means that if by accident I find myself on the edge, then I've got a lot of room to pull back into. Who will we be? What will it look like? Will we be the grumblers? Will we be the people who are thankful and grateful for everything? Where will you be when you walk out of here? So I told you I was going to promise you something that could change today. And you really have that chance because the minute we stop, your mind has the freedom to go wherever it wants to go. It probably really had the freedom to do that the whole time I was talking. But, but technically, your mind can go anywhere it wants to. Your eyes can go anywhere they want to. Your thoughts, your vehicle, your life. Where are you going to go? What is it going to look like when that person pulls in front of you or takes your parking spot? What will it look like in the end? So you get a chance to practice some of this immediately. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that, that you are who you say you are. Lord, it's challenging. I, I know that if it would have been me in the wilderness, I'd have been one of the grumblers too. And it just breaks my heart to think that. But I, I know that that, that is, a, is a tendency, Lord. And just ask you to please help us, all of us, to be people who would be grateful, people who would take the freedoms that you give us, and that you would not allow us, Lord, to abuse them, that you would not allow us to cause others to stumble or to stumble ourselves because of them. Lord, that you would change our lives and you know exactly where each of us needs surgery. You know where each one of us has issues and problems that we need to deal with. Would you please help us? I beg you, Lord, to please guide us and make us more like Jesus. Because when we're like him, we aren't like the Israelites that grumbled and were unhappy. Lord, we have joy unsearchable and a peace that passes all understanding. Uh, That's what we're like when we're like Jesus. So make us like that, Lord, more today than yesterday and more tomorrow than today and every day from there. And Lord, like the song we sang, it is well with my soul. Would you come back soon? Lord, would you do that? Would you haste the day when you'll be back with us that we, Lord, actually could be with you and that we can worship you face to face or probably face to ground? Guide us, Lord. Thank you so much for giving me the chance to open your word today. And I just pray that you will continue to teach me as well. And it's in Jesus' holy and matchless name we pray. Amen.